0: good morning everybody welcome once again to our sunday morning service and the sunday morning message which comes to you on this last sunday before christmas 2020 a sunday service that we unfortunately once again have to share in lockdown and to do it online but nevertheless i pray that as we contemplate Um, God's Word for today, that it might come once again as a tremendous blessing. So this morning it is my privilege to once again draw our attention to a passage of Scripture um, in which this is the second part to a message, a sermon that we um, started last week. And so our message for this morning is once again entitled, God by any other name. And this is the second part to the message that we commenced last week. And so, a question was posed in the introduction to the message last week. And that question is What's in a name? And you will recall that I reminded us that this is a question that was posed by that well known Shakespearean character, Juliet. In that tragic story, Romeo and Juliet, where that question is posed by her while she is contemplating how her family name, how her surname, which is Capulet, was supposed to separate her from the love of her life, Romeo, whose surname was Montague. And these two families, the Capulets and the Montagues, were feuding families, And so we came to see and we came to appreciate that names often have a story and that names also often communicate meaning. Biblical names often communicate a significant meaning. You see, it not only reflects the character, it not only gives us an appreciation of the nature of the person who carries that name but the name often speaks to their purpose and so we also saw how many of these biblical names communicate God's purposes how some of these names especially communicate God's ultimate purpose the purpose of redemption the purpose of salvation and so we saw how names like Joshua, Elisha, Hoshea, and Isaiah all carry that same basic significant meaning, which is the Lord saves. And in the Bible, we find that there are many derivatives to this name, as well as related names, that communicate various aspects and implication of God's plan of salvation. Of course, all of this ultimately culminates in the name Jesus, the embodiment and the means of God's plan of salvation. But we also discovered that God has a name, what we often refer to as God's covenantal name. A personal name that revealed his character. A name that while its actual pronunciation has been lost in antiquity, is a name that also communicated his character. His character as an all-encompassing character, an all-encompassing description of his being. There are various terms that we often use to, to describe this all-encompassing character and nature of God. Words like omnipotent, that means that He is all-powerful. Words like omnipresent, that means that He is present everywhere. And words like omniscient, meaning that God knows everything. Because that is who He is. And that is who he will be. Because that is the name that he revealed to Moses. When he said to Moses, When the people ask, Who is it that calls upon them? Then say to them, I am who I am. Or better translated, I will be who I will be. Has sent me. You see the key to a significant relationship with God, the the key to a meaningful relationship with God is not so much tied in our ability to be able to say His name, our ability to be able to pronunciate His name properly. Because yes, even though we do pronunciate the Divine Covenant name, those four Hebrew letters that... Um, is used to represent his name, what we often refer to as the Tetragrammaton, the four Hebrew consonants that make up the divine name, is often pronunciated Yahweh. But you see, even that pronunciation is simply just the best educated guess that we have as to how that name was probably pronunciated. But you see, the key is not so much in our ability to be able to pronunciate the name properly, but rather it is in our ability to be able to appreciate his name as the revelation of his character. And so last week we saw how in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that he is a God who is with us. And you will name him Emmanuel, because he is God with us. So much so that he is willing to take on flesh and to appear amongst us in the most humblest of circumstances, to completely identify with us, to live amongst us in order that he might be able to save us. You see, that ultimately is what Christmas is all about. The Christmas story is not just about the one day or even the birth story illustrated in the Nativity scenes as a means to represent or to present the, the birth narrative, the birth story as told by the Gospel writers. You see, it is the it is actually the central message of the entire Bible, the scarlet thread as we refer to it that runs throughout Scripture. I don't know, maybe that's the reason why Santa's suit is colored red. I don't know. In fact, I don't think so. But it is that without the shedding of blood, we recognize, as the Bible teaches us, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so, we often find attached to God's name, as it is recorded in the Bible, various descriptive terms that constantly reveals the infinite measure of His character. You see, it's the same goal that is achieved by titles that are associated with God's name. In the name Jesus Christ, for example, We have to recognize that Christ is not his surname. Christ is not Jesus' family name. It is, in fact, his title. A title that was and is the affirmation of his messiahship. That Jesus was ultimately and is ultimately the one that was anointed by God. The one to be the Messiah. The one that was God in the flesh the one that would reveal to us the very character and the very nature and the ultimate plan of who God is and who and what God was seeking to accomplish. And so, in Isaiah chapter 9 from verse 2 to verse 7, we read a little bit more of these titles. And like last week, when we read this passage in Isaiah, We pick up the words that can often be found with um, written upon many Christmas cards. So follow with me as I read through that beautiful passage of scripture, Isaiah chapter 9 from verse 2 to verse 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Even warriors, was a prophet. A prophet that exercised his ministry during the reigns of four kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. We learned that he received his commissioning to be a prophet, as recorded in Isaiah chapter 6 in the year that King Uzziah died. He then delivers that prophecy that we considered last week, the prophecy of the Emmanuel sign to King Ahaz, using most likely the impending birth of one of Ahaz's sons, probably King Hezekiah. But he shares this message, this Emmanuel sign prophecy, as a sign of hope to King Ahaz but we also saw that as is true for many biblical prophecies that this prophecy was not just a prophecy that was significant and as a sign of hope and as an encouragement to the people of God as they were facing that calamity that impending war for which Ahaz was supposed to and would normally ask for a sign but did not. It was a prophecy given to Ayaz. That was a prophecy that was also a foreshadowing of one of a birth that was to come in the future. One that would ultimately be the embodiment and the fulfillment of that prophecy of God with us. The birth of Jesus, what we celebrate today as Christmas. And so the people found themselves in a time of darkness, in a time of a looming crisis, a crisis of impending war, a war in which their northern Jewish cousins, the the kingdom of Israel, had entered into an alliance with Syria, um, the modern-day Taliban, if you want to term it that. And here Ayaz, has to contemplate what to do do, um, as he faces um, this impending danger, this this impending war. And so Ayaz becomes confident that by paying tribute to the greatest superpower of the day that was threatening all of them, Assyria, he felt that by paying tribute, by taking some of the very treasures of the temple and handing that over to the foreign king of Assyria, that that would ultimately be their salvation, that that would ultimately save them from calamity. But you see, and we find this even recorded in the book of Isaiah, that ultimately Assyria could not be bribed. Ultimately Assyria could not be paid off. While they do, and that is Assyria, while they do ultimately destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And that occurs in the year 722 BC, about 20 years or so after Isaiah is called to be a prophet. Assyria sets their eyes on the kingdom of Judah with its capital Jerusalem. And in fact, ultimately, it is a few decades later. When Hezekiah is king over Judah and in the city of Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is then besieged by the Assyrian army. And the Assyrian king Sennacherib boasts in his own social media post of today, in what is called the Sennacherib prism. And on that prism he writes and he boasts that he has King Hezekiah of Jerusalem trapped like a bird in a cage. But you see, as we see later on in the book of Isaiah, that it's because Isaiah reminds Hezekiah that he must not be like his fathers who did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but that if he repents, the Lord is able and he is willing to deliver the city of Jerusalem from the hands of the Assyrians. And ultimately, Hezekiah does that. And the Lord does miraculously save His people from that impending danger, that greater danger of the Assyrian invasion. So it is here in chapter 9, however, that we turn our attention back to that ongoing prophecy that Isaiah shares to King Hezekiah's father, and that is King Ahaz. Here in chapter 9, Isaiah adds further hope in elaborating on the birth of that child, a child that would, as the passage describes, would be born into royalty, and on whom, even prior to his birth, is bestowed royal titles, titles that is given to a king, that speaks to what he will become, that speaks to what this king will be able to accomplish on behalf of God, and for the benefit of his people it is titles that is used by royalty that often describes even today both the importance as well as the influence no and so the the story goes that van de Merwe, you know this well-known south african character was invited to a grand dinner at Buckingham Palace and to appear before the Queen of England. And so he observed and he witnessed a long line of important people who, as they were entering into the, the Queen's presence, had their names and had their titles heralded in often impressive terms. And just before him, he heard it once again being pronounced um, the titles often with the term, His Royal Highness, or Her Royal Highness, um, if it was some female royalty. And just before him, before he was to enter into the room, the Herald announced into the room the arrival of His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales. And so van der Meerwe thought, you know, how was he going to be introduced? He wrote something very quickly on a piece of paper and handed it as an instruction to the herald who looked at it and announced to everyone in the banquet hall, he is johannes from the Mowie. that was his title i guess you see the royal child is given titles that communicates who he is what he will accomplish, and that which will make his reign significant. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will be called wonderful counselor. In other words, what that title signifies, what that title illustrates, is that he will be an extraordinary advisor. You see, just as Ahaz would normally call upon his advisors to give him advice, and maybe that is what he did. Maybe he did call upon those advisors, and, and those advisors gave him advice that he thought would be good advice, to pay a bribe, to pay a tribute, even to use treasures from the Lord's temple to hand that over to the Assyrians because they felt that that would be the best cause of action to to stop the Assyrians from invading. That advice, however, was not sound advice. He needed better advice. He needed a sign. And so the Lord calls upon Isaiah to go and meet with King Ayaz, and to go and share with him that a child will be born, and that child will be God with us, and his titles will be Wonderful Counselor. In other words, this is an advisor who knows always what is the right thing to do. He knows what is the right thing to say, and he knows when it has to be done as we would say in our day and age, a person who gives solid advice. But you see, because this counselor is ultimately God, He is the one who knows the future. And He is therefore the one who is able to give advice accordingly. He is the best counselor that one could ever have. He is a wonderful counselor but he is also an everlasting father. You see, what we need to understand even in that term is that the term everlasting father was actually a military term. It is what we would call today in the day and age in which we are living in a a the highest ranking general. Is it the three-star or five-star general? You know, um, it was a military term That would refer to him as an army officer of the highest rank that would also have a heart or as we would term it in the day and age in which we we are living in a true officer and a true gentleman you see he would not just be a military commander who would send people into war and not be concerned for the well-being but rather he would be a general that would have a deep concern for those he himself defends he is mighty god you see he is a warrior god you see unlike the kings of the day and age of Isaiah. Whenever they would enter into battle, and you, and you, and you would see this in many of the reliefs, many of the, the archaeological pictures of the day and age in which Isaiah lived. These kings would enter into battle. They would be seated on their thrones and they would not lift a finger. They would simply give out advice. They would simply call out orders and they would rearrange all the, the soldiers like we would do playing a game of chess. But unlike these kings who would remain seated on their thrones and bellow out instructions, he would be a mighty God. In other words, he himself would take up the sword and enter into the battle he Himself. He would not only be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, but He would also be a Prince of Peace. You see, this title says that He would ultimately be the one that would bring well-being, that would bring God's perfect peace, God's Shalom, God's perfect peace that would result in a deep-seated prosperity for all. You see, while many kings of the day and age in which Isaiah lived would often bestow upon themselves grandiose titles, wonderful titles that would often just appeal to their ambitions, This king, this child that would be born, is given titles that not just reveals his character, but speaks to that which he would definitely, ultimately accomplish. I mean, could we imagine God by any other name? You know, in popular language they say, it's not so much about what you know, But it is who you know that counts. And the question for us this festive season is, do we actually know Him? You see, we must not just know about Him. We must not just know His name. As we often do and as many people do at Christmas time. You know, because Christmas time is the time in which we must remember Him. But what do we do? We remember ourselves. And so the birthday boy does not get a present. We give presents to one another. But I guess we do so in a manner that we reflect and in which we recall what God has done for us. That He has given us a gift that He has given us the most precious gift. He has given us the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, especially in this difficult Christmas time, it is Him and it is His name who, whom, who that we must reme- that we must remember, um, because there's a sense in which for us who live with the benefit of salvation, Christmas is something that we celebrate every day. And so we can celebrate him and we can remember his name every day as Jesus Christ. We can remember it in holiness and not as other people often do every other days of their lives when they utter that name in profanity. But we do so in reverence in a recognition that he is God, that he has been born to us as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 from verse 10 to 11 says it in this way I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. What is in a name? Well, as we have seen, there's lots in a name. What's in God's name? Well, even more, even more, even more than anything than we can ever imagine. Juliet asked that question, what's in a name? To which she continued and uttered that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. In another classical novel written a number of years ago A a classic murder mystery novel entitled The Name of the Rose, set in an Italian monastery, a story written by that Italian classical writer Umberto Eco. It is in the final line of that novel. And there's a movie, by the way, based upon that novel in which Sean Connery plays the leading role. But it's in the final line line of that novel we read the rose of old remains only in its name we however possess naked names but even on this christmas we worship one like a rose trampled on the ground who thought of us And who is still thinking of us. A name that is above every other name. A name that at the sound of it one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. In other words, that He is God. A name above all. A name given to one. Who would be willing to die for us to give us the greatest gift that we could ever imagine so that to our names we could add the title that he knows us that we could call ourselves Christians that we could call ourselves the followers of Christ but more than that a name that reflects that not only do we know Him, but that He knows us. And so I pray that if you do not yet know God, or that you know Him by another name, I want to introduce you today to Him, that no matter what people may call their gods, or no matter what title people may use to describe the one and the true and the only God he has been given that name Jesus the name that means that he saves us and so i want to pray God's blessing on each one of us this Christmas so that as we enjoy and as we celebrate this Christmas time We do it in the name. The name Jesus. Merry Christmas everyone. And God bless you as you celebrate that name.